Thanks for joining us this week on Indigenous Earth Community Podcast on the intersection of Indigenous wisdom and environment conservation. If you are enjoying the show, let us know by giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app and share it with a friend that would help us tremendously. Today is a very special episode with Sky Wildcat from the Cherokee Nation. I met Sky last year on Unity's conference in Orlando. As Sky joined myself and other Earth Ambassadors to do some eco-action, cleaning a local spot of litter. And then we organized and did a presentation on learning to culturally care for the environment and water conservation. In this episode, we talk about her experience riding her bicycle on the Remember the Removal Bike Ride, a 950-mile journey of self-discovery that went along the same pathway that around 180 years ago was used to firstly remove her ancestors. We discussed her most professional accomplishments so far, such as being an advocate for Native students and how she deeply believed in the power of education for Indigenous youth. Stay tuned as Sky also shares how Remember Traditions can help us pull it through this difficult time. Hey Sky, how are you? I am doing well. How are you, Frank? I'm doing excellent. Thanks so much for uh, being here on our podcast. I think the last time we saw each other, we did a presentation on the Unity Conference. Yeah, since I couldn't make it to mid-year, the last time I think we would have seen each other was at the National Conference in Orlando. And that was pretty cool. Uh, we did a presentation about different ways that we can help the earth. Yes, cleaning up kayaking the river. That was, that was pretty cool. I'm glad that we got to do that. Have you kayaked before? Yeah, I won a kayak at a river cleanup here in Tahlequah. So it's, it's kind of funny. But yeah, I love to kayak. That's awesome. For me, it's like being in church because it's so calm and so peaceful that I really connect with nature. And then by doing a cleanup, yeah. that's just like a plus, you know. Before we start, I was wondering if you have any kind of words of wisdom that we can kind of ground ourselves with before we begin. One of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite people, the man killer, um, her quote is, I don't think anybody anywhere can talk about the future of their people or of an organization without talking about education. Whoever controls the education of our children controls our future. That's very deep. I know that you're very passionate about education. Yeah. And uh, how does that speak to you? It's just kind of a reminder every day with the work that I'm doing, you know, some everybody that has a passion, there has to be at some point where they get a little tired. There's a reason that they have a passion. You know, there's a reason that, you know, there's barriers put in place that they've come to feel like they could take those barriers down. And so I feel that way about education, but it's it also, you know, I do get tired. And so when I get tired, I think about people like Women Man Killer who really pressed and pushed for the education of our indigenous people. That's amazing. And talking about pushing, this kind of reminds me, you told me about this really incredible bike ride that you went through. Can you tell me a little more about it? Yeah. So it's called the uh, Remember the Removal Bike Ride. It's through Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. It's a three-week bike ride, at, usually towards the end of May, uh, middle June. And so you are on a bike for three weeks from 
New Echota, Georgia, which was where the Treaty of New Echota was signed, which kind of, or which did solidify the removal of Cherokees. And you travel from there to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, which is the capital of the Cherokee Nation. And just, it kind of signifies where the trail ended. And so we do that. The participant numbers vary each year, but my year, I believe we had nine or 10 um, participants from Cherokee Nation. And then we meet up with a team from the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians from Cherokee, North Carolina. Yes, and in a way it's a very symbolic journey that you're taking, but at the same time it is a physical journey because you are there on the trail on your bicycle. And do you have any kind of like strong emotions when, when you're passing through the same roads that the, the removal went through? Oh, yeah. So you actually train for about six months before, you know, you leave, before you go to Georgia. And it's pretty rigorous training. You have to go, now you have to go through, I think, a couple of physicals just to make sure that your body's ready. I know that for me, during the middle of my training, I had kidney failure. And so my kidneys were only working at about, you know, 14 to 16%. And that was really scary for me. Um, not only just, I think I, that I wasn't too worried about my personal health. I was a little bit, but at the time I was like, am I going to be able to do this ride? Uh, you know, it's something that that's the only goal that I'd ever really set for myself before. And I wanted to accomplishment. I wanted to, to do it with um, the team, you know, that became family to me. And so just that physical training alone up until like the time that you are passing, you know, the burial sites, unmarked graves, just even like the, the trees and stuff like that. I think about how those trees were probably there the same time that they, you know, were forced to walk through. And also before then you're reading a journal that just has like a few accounts of, or it is a journal full of accounts of, you know, people, what happened on the trail but it's from the perspective of a missionary so it's a little you're just you're kind of like questioning you know yourself and morale this whole time because um, a lot of what fueled the removal came from you know christian doctrine and a lot of what um, the bad that has happened to native people has also come from christian doctrine so reading those accounts based off of like a, a missionary it really it really kind of sparks this reflection of who am I? Like, what am, you know, what am I doing with my life? Like, how am I remembering the people who got me here today? I think everybody that has gone the ride that can tell you, like, they still think about some aspect to this day, whether they did it in 1984 or, you know, 2019. Between all those years, somebody somewhere is probably thinking about the ride right now. It's something that would uh, stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I can only imagine how strong it is to be riding uh, in two time frames. You know, you're riding on your own time frame, but you're riding about the people that went to the experience of the removal. Yeah. And I feel like that experience, you know, I mean, you're there, you're, you know, with uh, health problems, but you're able to finish. I think it's, it's like a representation of who we are. You know, you always want to accomplish things that you set your mind to. And I know now that you're helping other students as a student service coordinator. And uh, what is that entails? 
Yeah. So as a student services coordinator, my focus is on recruitment, retention, and advocacy for Native students. I had never thought of myself recruiting students to higher education isn't something that I ever saw myself in. I more of wanted to kind of be like a resource and serve as, you know, helping them retain, helping them assess all these barriers. But so something that I did this past year as in a new position, I had the first Native Recruitment Day for Northeastern State University, which is kind of crazy to think about. We are a school with approximately like 35 or it could be more now percentage of Native students. So to think that we've never had a, like a specific day or like a specific approach to get Native students to our school is a little bit crazy to me and to the people that I was working with, but we made it happen. And I think that's probably one of my like proudest professional accomplishments so far, because it's something that I can build on. It's something that I can watch grow. Of course, I did it with a team of people that you know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have asked for anybody else. I also work on retention for Native students. Right now, especially, we're doing, like, quarterly check-ins. It's more than just saying, how are your grades? It's, you know, do you have internet at home? You know, do you have food right now? Do you, what's going on with your family? How, how are you handling all of this? And just outside of, you know, have you done your homework yet? It's the questions that we have to ask to make sure that they have their basic needs met. And so we just kind of do that throughout the year and just preparing them for life after college. It's, it really is multifaceted in that you know, there isn't, there isn't nothing, no student ever looks the same, but especially Native students. There's, you know, an array of things that we have to consider whenever we're working with them. But that's a little bit about of what I do. I also do some advising for Native student organizations. So I, I just really am, have a good opportunity to learn from you know, people that are younger than me, not too much younger than me, but um, also on the professional side of things, I get to see how higher education works and how I plan to change it in the future years. That is amazing. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're asking those questions like, you know, have they eaten today? Because I feel like that's kind of oversaw like for a lot of stuff. There's a poem that kind of reminds me what you're telling about, you know, checking in with the students. It's called uh, Causa Ain't Got a Pencil by Joshua Diggerson. And it oh, says, yeah. you hear that one before? Yeah, it's a good poem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it says, uh, I woke up myself up because we ain't got an alarm clock. Dug in the dirty clothes basket because ain't nobody washed my uniform. Brushed my hair and teeth in the dark because the lights ain't on. Even got my baby sister ready because my mama wasn't home. Got us both to school on time to eat us a good breakfast. Then when I got to class, the teacher fussed it because I ain't got a pencil. You're saying that you have to check with the, the students because if they're not attending the class, usually, you know, I'll say a couple years ago, that's what people would see, you know, they're not attending the class. But now uh, we're going through and trying to figure out why they're not attending the class. Is it because they're, you know, maybe they have yeah. to go to work? Maybe they're having troubles with their family? So I really appreciate that you're like really like looking in into what's going on with the students. I can only imagine how crazy it has to be for you right now because of the coronavirus pandemic. Luckily, we do have a, a pretty big support system. The other center that I work closely with, they're trying to work with a grant that they got. It was originally for the census. And so now 
they're trying to kind of mold it to where they can hopefully get some Wi-Fi for students at home who don't have any internet, you know, and that's that's the only way that they're going to get their homework turned in. So there's that. And then just students just trying to find some sense of normalcy as much as you can for them and which is seemingly impossible because you know what's what's a normalcy for us like you know this isn't a job that we've ever done from home it's usually in person and so just like everybody else on the planet right now which is crazy to think about we're trying to navigate and find different ways to approach them and to help them without actually being able to be in front of them and it feels like new things keep coming up and especially some students now you know they're not going to be able to graduate with like a normal graduation which is really sentimental for you know however many years or months that you put into this hard work and you just want to be able to show it off and walk across the stage and now it looks a lot different for you than it does for you know everybody else so there's a lot of emotions i think that we're having to learn to navigate and approach and also within ourselves it's just like how how can we carry the burden of our students and try as much as we can to help them but also you know carry the burden of our own loved ones our own communities just our own work and it's just it's it's weird it's it's unheard of for at least our generation at the same time in saying that we still do have immunocompromised students and populations who have been living like this for decades or not their whole lifetime. It's also being careful in how we approach the situation because we're not alone and also to whenever this does end, we do have that choice to be able to go back outside and do the things that we used to do. Whereas other people, they, you know, they still won't like this is um, the life that they have to live. So it's, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to reflect on. I guess that's also kind of the point of this time is just how is just reflecting on what we do have when we can and learning to stay positive. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, it's a lot to take in, but I feel like nature always is able to give us solace and tranquility and peace. Is there anything that you're doing uh, now these times? I know we, we're not able to go out as we used to before. But is there any way that nature is giving you a little bit of solace in these hard times? Yeah, definitely. So we have a, a river in town and we have creeks and, you know, we just have a bunch of like foliage and just hills and trees that you can just kind of go outside and just take a minute. I have a hammock and so I like to be able to go outside or I just got my hammock. But, you know, as time progresses, I'm sure I'll go out and find some trees and just at least just sit there and be outside, you know, when it's sunny, like go for walks, even if it's just like a 10 or five minute walks, even if it's just sitting outside on your porch, these are all things that we have to do. Something that my therapist has told me, you know, whenever, even without like a pandemic, people still feel repressed to stay inside, whether that be depression or anxiety. And so I know that those feelings are happening a lot more lately, but like even just standing in front of a window, can help get you a little bit of that, you know, the vitamins that you need to actually have the physical response of being just a little bit more relaxed or alleviate some symptoms of your anxiety. And so those are some of the things that I've been trying to do and remind myself and uh, remind my students is that, you know, we still have, we have a little bit, um, not as much as we used to, but we do have some. If you have any 
furry friends at home that that really helps like I have my cat so you know we just we relax we just we just sit there together and that for me that helps alleviate some anxiety yeah for sure I also have uh, two dogs and they're always with me and it just makes life much easier uh, to deal with because you know you have somebody else to that is looking up for you for their survival Mm -hmm. And yeah. you kind of have to like toughen up a little bit and let the world kind of beat you down a little bit, you know, because you have to be strong for your cat or for your dog or for your kids. <laughs> and I know that you're very involved, you know, with the earth and environment. And what would be one thing that people can do to help the earth in this kind of crazy times? I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially with having to change our earth ambassador projects, because by the time Earth Day comes, you know, we'll still be under like a kind of like a stay at home notion and and so some of the things that I'm seeing throughout the world is people uh, reporting like how their rivers have really just like cleared up or you know how the air is cleaner or how the animals are coming back and things like that and so one of the best things that I think we can do for each other and I mean especially the earth is just doing that is staying home and letting the earth also have this time to relax and to just kind of not, you know, respond or anything like that, but to like gather itself back and, you know, heal a lot from what we've done. I hope also like the response from what we've seen of having us, you know, be using less like emissions, carbon emissions, you know, using our car less, using a lot of less energy is that, after this maybe right now we can use the time to plan how we're going to kind of instill those ways even after a pandemic and i know that also people are going out and foraging for foods there's a lot of spring foods that are coming up right now and so if you can find you know the time and the will and just the ableness to do that then i think that will also you know help you and in that connection because maybe you didn't get to think about that before So those are just a couple of things that I've been kind of pondering over. But of course, I'm still open to suggestions. I'm still learning. And uh, especially right now, it's I know it's hard on everybody, but we do have a large community of indigenous people that we we can make it. You know, we, we have done it. And of course, there was a huge loss with everything that's happened, you know, 200 years ago to us. And we never want to see that happen again. And but I think trying to remember those traditions and what we're doing right now uh, together can help us pull that through. Those are uh, very uh, beautiful words. And I thank you so much for sharing with me and everybody else that is listening to our podcast. And I want to thank you again from the bottom of my heart for participating with us. And I look forward to uh, seeing you soon again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.